1: Declare the scripture, Zechariah 2.5 over Faith City Outreach, where the Lord says, And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, missionary, evangelist, Gordon Mallory from Ahwatukee, Arizona. Thank you so much for being here today, Pastor Gordon for an interview about your book called A Million Hands, Unpresented Revival in Modern Times. I am looking forward to hearing more about your testimony and about what God is doing now in your life.
2: We're sure glad to be here, Marina, very much.
1: In your book, A Million Hands mentions that you accepted Christ at five years old. Sitting in a Pentecostal church, and from that day, you, your intense love and faith for Jesus has never wavered. And that was when you pursued God. When I read this, I was so inspired because your um, you didn't allow your upbringing, upbringing, your childhood upbringing, which was very um, challenging um, because of your abusive father. You didn't allow that to knock down your faith in the Lord.
2: Yeah, it's a very, very traumatic uh, life that we lived. But, you know, at five years old, I'll never forget sitting in that little church, and they were having a service, and then they had an altar call, and I was sitting with my aunt, my Aunt Pearl. She's a teacher and just such a wonderful lady. And I can remember, at five years old, feeling something very, very strong and I looked up at her, and I had tears running down my little five-year-old face. And I said, "Aunt Pearl, I want to go up there." And so she took me by my little hand. She led me up the aisle, and we went up there. And I'll never forget that experience. As I just, I just wanted to live for Jesus, and I repented. I gave my life to Him. And uh, from that moment onward, that's uh, you know, I never have wavered from it. I'll be 75 years old next week or next uh, month. And uh, I have three siblings. They didn't have the experience I had. So, but they went through the same trauma that I went through. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they became bitter. I became better. And the reason I became better was because of my experience and the experience only deepened and grew until when I was nine years old, I really had an experience of the infilling of God's spirit into my life and where I received God's power And uh, so even though those times are very traumatic and very difficult for me, uh, the Lord helped me through, and uh, I'm very, very thankful for that.
1: Now, what do you think, um, because you just mentioned that you decided to become better, and they they became better, your siblings did. What do you think causes that? Is that just a decision you make?
2: No, I think I personally think it's an ex- ex- it's the experience when you know when you have an experience with the Lord at a very young age, it's real. You know, sometimes we as adults can fake stuff. Kids can't fake it, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> what I had was real. And uh, my father was a very very difficult man. He was not a loving man. Never ever one time do I ever remember him saying he loved me in all the years that I was under his roof. He was somebody to be run away from, somebody to be feared. And, uh, but yet I knew at that young age that I had a heavenly father that loved me. And uh, with my siblings, it was, you know, wasn't really a choice with them because they never had that experience. If they would have had the same experience as myself, I very much believe that they could have had the same kind of a reaction to my father's uh, you know violent behavior as I did, but, uh, it's the experience with the Lord that made the difference in my life. And I believe it makes a difference in anybody's life. He's love, he's peace, he's joy. Well, that's what I had in the midst of the storm. And, uh, they didn't have that to hang on to. So to me, that's the difference.
1: So would you call it an encounter with the Holy spirit?
2: Yeah. You know, uh, of course, God's God and there's, mm-hmm. you know, the, we have the experience goes along. It's kind of a, you know, progressive things. So when I'm five, that's when I first had the knowledge of there's a God. He loves me and I gave myself to him. So ever after that, then it, it kind of, you know what? It's kind of like, it's kind of like getting married. You know, when you get married, you think that's the best day of your life. I mean, your love for one another is brimming and you're just, you know, you're wild about each other. And uh, a lot of marriages, that's, you know, that's the peak of it. And then it's all downhill after that. But that's not the way it was designed to be. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the beginning of something beautiful and wonderful and phenomenal and fantastic. And it just gets better and better. Well, that's the way it is with experience with the Lord. I had the five-year-old experience. And then when I was nine, I had this experience of it. I mean, I was just overwhelmed. I was filled with God's spirit in my life. And uh, it, it was so powerful. In fact, I wanted to become a preacher right then and there. And that's how powerful it was in my life. And then I've had many experiences since then. So you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And uh, and until you get to where I'm at right now, and it's it's it, you know it still continues even after you're 75 years old. Amen. You and know, like you said, that's better.
1: that's what it should be like.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: I also read in your book that the enemy. Tried so many times to destroy God's calling for your life mm-hmm. through serious surgeries or accidents you had. But, of course, he did not succeed because now you can look back at all those victories you had in your ministry mm-hmm. and still now. And it was all because the Lord just protected you and guided you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, right after I gave my heart to the Lord at five, they took me in the hospital to give me a surgery bought my tonsils gonna take my tonsils out simple little procedure the doctor cut some artery or something i don't know how that happened but i almost died on the operating table and so you know i guess the old enemy tried to take me out then and rob me of my calling then when i was then when uh, as i grew then my father became very abusive he tried to beat anything that was good in me out uh he ridiculed me and called me all kinds of names and said I was stupid and an idiot, and nobody's going to listen to you and all this kind of stuff. And so I went through all of that until when I was 14, I succumbed to it. I, I had, a, I had a, a complete breakdown of my nerves and my nerves were shot. I couldn't sit in a chair. I, I, I mean, I couldn't stay in school. It was one of those very, very difficult situations because of the pressure of my father.
1: Now, did you stay in school or did you leave?
2: No, I, I, I. they wouldn't let me stay in school. Wow. I had to leave school. You know, my education had to come later. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my formative years, you know, high school years, I tried to go back. I did go back to school for like one year, and uh, but I never formally uh, graduated from high school there because of all of that pressure. But then I was able to go to a theological seminary. They, they accepted me. I you know, passed the entrance test and all that. So then I got a three-year diploma from that school. So I was very thankful for that. But you know, the enemy did try to thwart my ministry and my calling over and over again uh, in those formative years. And when I got out, out of the house when I was 17 years old, I left $20 in my pocket. Not knowing where I was going, but I was the Lord led me. But uh, the devil never gives up, uh, and so I had a lot of trauma, uh, traumatic experiences even after then. But they weren't from my father.
1: Now, what advice about God would you give to someone who had a challenging or unfortunate childhood, like yourself, and who is struggling to keep their eyes on
2: God? You know, uh, that, that's a wonderful question. You know, I really appreciate you asking that question because, I, uh, you know, I'm I speak all over the, I actually all over the world, and a lot of times when I speak, uh, I will give a little bit of my testimony just to let people know where I came from because that connects you with people, that have had similar experiences. And how many times do you have people come up to you, after the meeting, and they'll say, your story is like my story only. The difference is I haven't been able to get over the trauma of this. You know, I wake up in the night and I have nightmares and I or I can't forgive. And the one main thing that people say, even those many people, they come into the church, they love God, they have an experience with God, but they have a hard time forgiving. And forgiveness is the key. You know, if we can't forgive and let go, then we're going to be a slave to what that abuser has done to us and uh, it's, it's, you know, you're not going to get over it. You have to forgive. And this is what happened in my life. You have to forgive. And I can remember a moment uh, after I was married that uh, these traumatic experiences were in my mind. I don't really think I had bitterness towards my father, but it was there. It was kind of there all the time. And I remember a time I said, I've got to get rid of this. Because there were times in the night that I would wake up five years after we were married, and I'd be I'd be having these flashbacks and I'd cry out, and my father was standing over me beating me again and uh, and so finally, I just had to go and deal with it and uh, and I did, and so I would just tell people, you know, stay in the word, and uh, God's word is God's thoughts, and when you're thinking God's thoughts, it's a whole lot better than thinking your thoughts and living in the past. You have to bury the past. You have to put it under the blood, just like the Lord put our sins under the blood and he forgets our past, he wipes it out. Then we have to ask the Lord to help us to forget the past and to put it under the blood and to forgive because that's where we find freedom. That's where we find release and liberty. And uh, I'm just giving my testimony Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, it's it's a strong, powerful testimony If I can do it, anybody can do it
1: Exactly, and mm-hmm. I think that um, a lot of people Let's say, try to forgive in, on their own Like on their own flesh But if you yeah. ask the Lord to help you mm-hmm. That He will do it And like you mentioned, that staying in the Word Spiritually mm-hmm. strengthens you
2: Yeah, absolutely, it does and uh, forgiveness is—it uh, doesn't come easy, like you said. The flesh, it's all there's always a war between the flesh and the spirit. And uh, I like to sometimes use Peter as an example. You know, he was that exasperated kind of kind of disciple. He was very—he was the spokesman. He was always opening his mouth, and and then he'd insert his foot. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. But you remember, mm-hmm. he came up to the Lord and he said, "How many times
1: mm-hmm. is
2: my brother going to offend me, and I forgive him?" He said, until seven times, and Peter in his mind thought he was exaggerating. He said, I'm sure he said it something like, until seven times. I think he was exaggerating, you know, about it. And I think he thought the Lord was going to say, Peter, Peter, you know, you don't have to be a doormat, you know, just if, if if he comes after you, you know, three times, kill him. But... The Lord didn't say that. He said, I say not unto you until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Exactly. I don't think Peter knew how much that, that was. He probably had to call Judas for his calculator. You know, how much is seventy times seven? That's four hundred and ninety times. And as I understand the word, that's in one day. You're supposed to give your forgive your brother four hundred and ninety times in one day. You know, that when it when you put it out like that, that's almost like you think, well, that's impossible. So the only way you can do it is through the Spirit. And the Mm -hmm. Lord knew when he was talking to Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus, but he didn't have the power of the Holy Ghost yet. Mm -hmm. And so when Peter received that on the day of Pentecost, Mm -hmm. then Jesus knew that he was going to be able to forgive Mm -hmm. 490 times. And he was going to forgive his captors who crucified him upside down on a cross. And Peter prayed for for his... the people that abused him. And there's many references that will tell you, you know, outside the word that uh, he, that he converted 54 of his jailers that were looking after him during the time he was in a dungeon beneath a dungeon before they crucified him. Well, before, before he received God's spirit in his life, he didn't have the ability to forgive. But when you have that spirit in your life, then it's the Lord forgiving through you and, that's just the way it is. It's almost impossible to do it on. A, in the you mentioned the flesh, and that's that's true. You have yes. to have that spirit in your life.
1: Amen, Pastor Gordon. What would you tell somebody who says, "Well, I'll forgive when I feel like it," or "I'll forgive later on in life"? Mm-hmm. What would you tell that person? Because I've heard that before.
2: Yeah. Well, I would just say, I would just uh, reiterate to what I just said. You know, it's just, it's basically, you know, you mentioned the word choice before. This really isn't, you know, it is a choice, but, but it really isn't. When, when you come to the Lord and when you take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, you know, you're not your own anymore. The Bible says you're bought with a price. Now Jesus is living inside of you and you're living the life of, Of Jesus so you ask yourself the question what would Jesus do you know I mean he's the one that went to the cross for us he's the one that died when everybody forsook him Mm -hmm. you know all his own disciples everybody forsook him and he hung alone on the cross when he could have called ten thousand angels I mean he could have said okay I'm gonna wipe you all out with one but but that wasn't Jesus Jesus loved us. And so when we have his spirit within our lives, we don't have that choice to say, well, I'll forgive when I want to forgive. You know, if you're a follower of the Lord, you deny yourself and take up your cross. No,
1: you're pretty much convicted. And you're like, I'll do
2: it. It's it's Mm -hmm. then it almost comes naturally because exactly. It's a part of the fruit of the spirit. Exactly. When you have the fruit of the spirit, the fruit is born on demand. It burns it it just comes out when you're in a particular situation where that particular fruit needs to be manifest. And uh, to me that's the way forgiveness is. It's not a I'll tell you, sometimes the flesh rises up. You'll say, Well, Gordon, does the flesh ever rise up in you and you wanna you know? Yeah, I'll feel it sometimes, but then it's suppressed because I know who I am. I know whose mm-hmm. life is who's the stronger man in my life? Mm-hmm. It's gotta be Jesus. Therefore, I'm not gonna I'm not going to overreact when people say things, when men revile and persecute and say all manner of evil against you. What am I gonna do? Go kill them? No. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna be exceeding glad. I'm gonna be glad that I belong to the Lord. And so that that's kind of what I would say to people that say I can't give it up? I've had that so many times in my life, that question mm-hmm. that you just asked. You know, it's uh, it can't be just a either or. When you belong to the Lord, you don't have any other choice but then to forgive.
1: What particular scripture or scriptures did you use that helped you keep your eyes on the Lord when you were growing up?
2: Well, you know, I was very young. And so I will just tell you, as a very young man, I got into the Word. And, you know, there's some scriptures that stick out more than others. But I mean, I, I you know, it's almost like a, when you're reading the word, it's like revelatory. And that word was so phenomenal, even as a young boy in my life. You know, when I, I started really picking it up as a, probably an eight-year-old is when I really got into the word because I had a Sunday school teacher by the name of Isla Welch, and and she was uh, so phenomenal with us boys. She had a junior class, boys, we were the boys. And she made the Bible and the Word of God come alive in our lives. And so you looked into the life of David and Daniel and all these different ones and the three Hebrew children, and you just go on and on and on. And in my mind today, it's all so vivid because of that Sunday school teacher in my life. But there was a scripture that became very, very strong to me. In fact, it's uh, the scripture I used the very first message I preached when I was late teens, and it's in Ephesians chapter six, you know. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The power is my And then it goes into the, the armor. The armor that God gives you, mm-hmm. all of these, these armors that are on you are armors of protection and protecting you and shielding you from the elements of this world. And uh, I would say that those scriptures right there were the ones that were, that were the most uh, meaningful to me. When I was going through dark valleys, and even as I got older, I would fall back on those scriptures. Be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. And then it ends, that, that particular portion ends with praying always.
0: Mm-hmm. You know.
2: And so it ends with prayer and praying and seeking the Lord. And then another scripture was, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And I've lived in a world of turmoil, especially when I was in my house. Mm-hmm. Turmoil, uh, of violence, and that scripture, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon me. So I try to train my mind for, for that, but uh, even then, I told you, I succumbed to that nervous breakdown, but I think God was all in that. And... Uh, you know me now. You know how I turned out after all these years.
1: <laughs> Amen. Did God ever bring any male mentors in your life when you left home?
2: Any, excuse me?
1: Male mentors, like somebody yes. who's mentoring oh, so you.
2: Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that.
1: Can you share about
2: that? Yeah, in fact, I have been ministering a lot lately on that very subject because I, I very, very much believe in uh, in mentors and uh, and for... Uh, young men, especially starting out in the ministry like myself, mm-hmm. to find people that they can submit themselves to and to listen to their wise counsel and their mm-hmm. advice. There was one man that I was, when I was going through the deepest part of my valley with my father, I was probably then, by just before I left home, I was 17 years old. And uh, this man had been in our lives before. His name was Paul Lehman. He was a pastor. And uh, but I wasn't really close to him as a kid, but I just looked up to him. And finally, I was able to get a hold of him. And how many times did he did he uh, secretly kind of take me out? And uh, we'd go to a restaurant somewhere, and he would he would speak into my life, and he would pray for me, and he would. So that was early on. So as the years went by, I mean, he just became a mentor in my life. There's no way that I could count on my fingers and my toes or whatever how many men in my life that I called my mentors. Mm-hmm. They were powerful men in my life that I could pick up the phone, I could call them, or I could go see them, or I could I'd tell them, this is my problem, what do I do? I sought counsel, I sought advice. And now, at my age, I would say every one of these people that were mentors in my life are all gone on to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so now here I am at 75 years old, and now I find myself, now I'm the mentor. I have young men call me all over the country. My phone stays busy, and they say uh, they call me Brother Mallory. They say, Brother Mallory, I need I need help. I need I I got a question. I need you to pray for me. And so they look up to me now because they've been around a long time. I got a lot of bear hides on the wall, <laughs> and it was just like the men that were mentors in my life. So now here I am. I'm at this generation, where I'm the older one. And uh, I don't have these men that I can call anymore because I'm, I'm the elder. Right. But yes, they, they, I couldn't have made it without these men in my life. And women. I've had some powerful awesome. women in my life. I mean, I could talk about that.
1: Uh, what advice would you give new pastors, evangelists, missionaries, or anyone who is starting out in ministry?
2: Well, what we just said is a good way to start no man is an island i tell you you know what you have spiritual spiritual warfare i i totally believe in that because i've been involved in it. i mean i'm you know the devil and the enemy is going to come around and he's going he's like a roaring lion, mm-hmm. whom he may devour that's what the enemy does mm-hmm. and so that's why no man is an island i mean some people can think okay i got all the talent in the world i've got all the money in the world i've got You know, I mean, I've been, you know, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, so I've got everything I need in order to succeed in ministry. Uh, That's a very big mistake. And so I would fall back to answer the question. I would fall back on what we just said. Find yourself, it doesn't have to be 20, 30 like mine or more, but it could be one or two or three uh, people that you highly respect and revere, and and, uh, make yourself accountable to these people. Uh, you know, a lot of times men struggle with secret sin, and things that will eventually destroy them if they don't take care of it. But if you have mentors in your life that you're accountable to, and you're willing to tell them everything that's going on, where at a weak moment they can pray for you and they can, they can keep you from having a, a severe problem or falling. How many ministries have we seen just fall by the wayside because, because they allowed. Something to get to them, and a lot of times it was going on for a long time before it finally manifested itself and so you need people that you can subject yourself to and then I would say, get into the word uh get to know God for yourself don 't use a lot of other people i mean you can study and you can you can refer to other people 's messages and all of this but if you just if, if you just preach somebody else 's message. If you just, you know, they've done all the digging and they've done all the hard work and they've done all the praying and they've done all the... No, you got to get to know God for yourself. And you have to have that time alone with the Lord. You have to have that secret closet of prayer. If a man doesn't have a strong prayer life and if he doesn't have a closet where he can go to and meet with the Lord on a, on a daily basis and where he meditates upon the Lord day and night, that's what the Word says. Then, when he goes out and meets those elements of the world, and those temptations that the devil just puts in his way because he knows his weak spots, then he's going to set himself up for failure. So, I believe these are very strong, wise words from somebody that's that's been there. And uh, so that's those are some of the things. Of course, there's there's a lot more, but we're limited with our time.
1: Right, and if they don't know where to go, they just go to God first and pray about it and say, God, send me those mentors, those godly mentors.
2: Absolutely. And he will respond. Absolutely. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He'll grant you the desire of your heart. And uh you know, I will I will just say this, I wanna interject this because some people will not understand this that's out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my father was a was a very you know, in his early life was a very spiritual man. And, uh, and he, he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. I mean, he was my, my, my mother married him. He was a young evangelist. He was a, but as you said, this is, this is the topic we're talking about. This is very important. Because you asked me that question. How am I going to, what are we going to tell these people that are just starting out in ministry and all mm-hmm. that? Well, you know, this is, this, I had got the experience with my own father. I saw, I saw this man like a mighty oak fall he he succumbed to temptations he started drinking wine and he couldn't stop drinking it and he became an alcoholic and then he he withdrew and he didn't he didn't have elders in his life that he submitted himself to he he stopped praying he was he just you know he he became just a a shell of a man because he didn't reach out and 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 get the help that he needed and uh so you know it it you know it happened in my own life as i I saw my father. So I was saying to myself when I got out of ministry, I'm not going to be like my father. I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow that path. I have, to have, I have to have help because if somebody just says, oh, I'll never fall, I'll never fail, I'll never more, you're setting yourself up. Mm-hmm. You know, the devil's not, you know, he does, he's not as strong as the Lord, but he's, you know, he's got a little bit of influence. He's been around a long time.
1: Right, and our flesh is weak, and so yeah. we need to have that spiritual support system. You're
2: exactly right, Marina. Exactly mm-hmm. right.
1: This is Marina Maria with Faith City Outreach with today's special guest, missionary evangelist Gordon Mallory. He is from Awatukee, Arizona, and we are talking about his book, A Million Hands. Now, in your book, Pastor Gordon, it says that you are known for the Philippine Crusades, where 100,000 people received the Holy Ghost. How long did you live in the Philippines?
2: Well, uh, that's quite the question. You know, we, uh, my wife and I got married, by the way, we are, we'll be celebrating our 54th wedding anniversary in September. It's actually 9-11, so I never forget it now. <laughs> and, uh and uh, we went to the Philippines as missionaries for, with our mission. When I was uh, 25, my wife was 23, and so we uh, we we'd been married for four years, and so we you know we had ministry all during that time. But we were very young and really rather inexperienced. But our mission put their faith in us, and we went. And so ever since then. We have been involved in the Philippines. said. doesn't mean we would have been resident there all the time. But mm-hmm. up to this moment, we're involved in the Philippines. We never stopped being involved in the Philippines. But, so as far as resident, we were resident for 14 years, and I became the leader of our work there. Actually, we started a, a church in Manila. In our mission, there was no church, no people, no contact. My wife and I were just new there. We didn't know anybody. And in a city of millions of people, we started in our house. And uh, we'd had some house helpers come to help us in our house. And that's who we started with in our little family, two-year-old and a Mm one-year-old. And now we have 300 churches in the city. Wow. And uh, tens of thousands of members in that city. Well, then we branched out all over the Philippines until now we have... A last count, we had one million two hundred and fifty one thousand and thirteen people in our church. Wow. We started in our living room,
0: Praise and so the Lord.
2: Uh, we, we've been involved in the Philippines all of that time. And uh, we can talk about the crusades if you want to.
1: Yes, definitely. How long did you live in Philippines before coordinating your first
2: crusade? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you don't have anybody or any help, you can't just have a crusade. You know, so you, you have to. Build. It took time. Yeah. Uh, and I will say, it's kind of, kind of humorous, actually. We'd been there only, what, two years? Two years, three years, maybe, at the most. And, uh, our church was growing. Uh, the first converts we got was, they literally lived in the dump. Some people will know, have heard of Smoky Mountain. It's very notorious. I mean, thousands of people live on this dump. Well, these are the people we got, the first people in our church. And, uh... And they got cleaned up. They started getting jobs and all that. The work grew until finally we had somebody come through, an evangelist man, and he encouraged us. And He said, you need to, you know, he gave a prophetic word. God is going out of this little place. And it was a very humble place at that moment. Uh, he said, you're going to have an amazing revival. And he made many, many statements. Well, when he left, then I got in my mind, we need to have a crusade and uh, so it was really too early to have a crusade but it turned out awesome you know i my faith was very high so i went out and contracted a auditorium 10,000 seat auditorium and we only had like at that time we only had about 40 or 50 people in our little church and i went and contracted a 10,000 seat auditorium well that's really foolishness you know I mean, so how how, going, how much how are you was gonna, filled how, are you how many fill out fill up a yeah. 10,000 seat auditorium with that but I did, we did our best. We did posters, and I had the little few people we had. We made little hats for them. We called it Explo Manila. It was, I think, yeah, it was Explo Manila 73. So it was 1973. And we went all through the city and all that. Well, what happened was, when we tried to start, when we had our, we're going to have a three-night meeting in this auditorium, uh, we had about a little over a 1,000 people. A 1,000 people is so much more than 50 people. But yet, sitting in a 10,000-seat auditorium, it looked very pitiful. But what happened was, was we saw some of the most incredible miracles in that, in that so-called crusade, which we have, man, you know, we have big, big ones now. But then, that was when I saw my first blind person receive his sight. And I saw a woman with a large growth I saw that go away. It was in that meeting. I saw many, many other things happen. And it was in that meeting that an old lady, 86 years old, came up. And she said, I want to receive the Spirit like they did in the book of Acts. <sighs> and so she received the Spirit on the spot, 86 years old. Her name was Mrs. Ibira. And then afterwards... She came she, with great faith. Yeah. I
1: love that. You yeah, know, amazing. someone coming to you yeah, she saying said, that.
2: She, she said to us, Marina, she said, oh, I did not come to receive prayer for my physical body because I'm very old. She said, "She said I come to receive that spirit you were talking about. So she received the spirit. Well, then later on, she called us to her house and she said, you know, I'm very old. My husband is dead. She said, I know I'm not long for this world. And she said, I have a piece of property i like to give you to build your church. And so it was in that meeting wow. when I thought was a was a dud 10,000 seat auditorium, but only a thousand people showed up and we had miracles and a lady showed up to give us the property that we built our headquarters church in Manila, the first church. You see, you see how God works?
1: Right. So we he, think it's he honored that faith. Exactly. Even though
2: it was kind of reckless, mm-hmm. but it was the thing that it was like the thing that blasted us off. That was the thing that got the thing going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was an amazing moment, and I'm very thankful for it and uh, a lot of great things have happened since then
1: Awesome. How similar or different do you think Crusades are in the Philippines versus in america? yeah
2: you know, that's a very very good question too uh you know you have you, have, you can have crusades in the u s uh you're not just quite as successful a lot of times you'll get a lot of churches joined together and and you got people, and they'll invite their friends and people, and then you advertise on television and radio and this and that and the other, and you can get a crowd.
1: But why isn't it, it as successful? What's that? Why isn't it as successful?
2: <laughs> the reason that it is not as successful, this is only me talking. Other people might be able to give you a, a, a different answer. Right. Maybe more of a complete answer. But I'm giving it to you from my own personal, uh, personal experience. The Philippines is like a lot of other countries, but yet it's, it's kind of unique. I don't know any other place to me like the Philippines, me my prejudice. It's a third world country. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they are very God conscious people, no matter what religion goes there. It, you name the religions and, and they're prospering in the Philippines. Uh, because it's kind of like whoever gets to them first is going to get their allegiance because these people are, they're reaching out. They have. They're food. hungry. They're hungry. That's very true. They're very hungry, and so they're easy to work with. They're easy to reach. Uh, they don't have a lot of things going on. A lot of distractions. They have more now. They're becoming more westernized. <laughs> they have more now. But but when you don't have nothing or much, or where there's nothing going on in the community or the whatever, and there's going to be a crusade, everybody's going to want to go to it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's been our success uh, Since we did that one, the 1,000 people showing up I will just tell you, Marina We cannot find buildings big enough for our crusades The largest building there is the Arnettic Coliseum in Manila Seats 30,000 people We packed it out three times The last time we, wow. were, we were in that auditorium There's thousands of people outside Couldn't get in the door
1: so what do you do in that situation? Well, we go
2: down to we go down to the Luneta Park downtown, Manila. You know, the Pope when he was there, he had four million people. So oh it's a huge, gosh. huge park that spans wow. like streets. And uh, so we went down there, and that's where we have our main crusades now. I mean, we have uh, as many. Well, the 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 last time we were, let me see now. I try to remember. Was it twenty oh seven? Uh, we had 250,000 people in our crusade uh, which is a lot of people so yes. that's a lot more than 1,000 people and that's a lot more than 50 people that were, we started You know, where it was in our little church after two years so you can see how, how it is, people just they come and they are hungry and they are open and when you open the word to them and you tell them what it says, it's not our word, it's his word they believe it And they respond to it, and then when they receive the experience, they want to. They they go and they they're very evangelistic. The first people they go to is their family. I want my mama to hear this. Mm I want my daddy to hear this. I want my brothers, my sisters. So they go witness to people right away. Yeah, oh, they're just they're instant evangelists. You know, everybody there is what they call a, a, a full time worker. You know, they don't just come into the church and sit on the pew. Like, mm-hmm. this is the problem we have here in America, mm-hmm. where we have some wonderful people and they come, and we come to church on Sunday morning or whenever the services are scheduled, and they come and they like it, and they come and they sit, and we sing, and we worship, and we we enjoy the pastor's preaching and all that. Then we go home. But who's one a soul?
0: Mm-hmm. Who has
2: duplicated themselves and somebody else? Who has? Uh, There's some doing it, but a lot aren't. Mm-hmm. And But there in the Philippines, everybody's doing it. Wow. Now, they all go out. And so this has been the secret of our growth. Yeah. And that's the difference between, at least from my experience, Philippines and the U.S. Now, other missionaries in other countries might tell you something totally different. Like European countries are different and others. But for us, I believe, the, I'm very fortunate that the Lord called us to the Philippines.
1: Now, why and, uh, do you think we're we're just doing that? Why are we so passive in witnessing to others it's things
2: it's things distractions it's, here in america know, it's, it's you know what and i don't want to say it in a way that that we're putting down right. people that are in the church or whatever but we ha- we you know it's our it's our it's our lifestyle we have to work like dogs to make the ends meet we have to pay our mortgage we have to do our deal we have to we got all of our fiscal responsibility our priorities our priorities basically has to be our life and our living and just trying to exist, and the spiritual part of it because we're spiritual beings. We we want to put God first in our lives, which He should be, but in many ways He's not because it's time, you know. And that's why Paul said redeeming the time because the days are evil. How can you redeem the time when you don't got any time? You know, time is a commodity. You can't. You, I mean, not a, you can't can it you can't store it you can't freeze it you can't once time's gone it's gone mm-hmm. you know you can't just pick it up later and say well I, I, i'm going to use that time that i wasted before you know once you've wasted the time it's gone
0: mm-hmm. and so
2: i think that's where we are here where we're our our time management
1: and our priorities has, so god is second yeah, or third
2: we wouldn't say that we would say god is first in our lives but actions speak louder than words and when exactly. we exactly and when you just look at, well, how much time have you spent in the Word this week? Mm-hmm. How much time have you been able to pray, pray this week? How much time did you give to the church this week and to outreach and witness? and How much time?
1: Or have even serving used... at the church. I hear that's a really big issue is serving at the church. Yeah,
2: right. And, you know, of course, we go to a church that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really, there's a lot of outreach and there's new people coming exactly. in and all that. But that's not really the norm. You know, there's not, there's not a lot of churches like that. They're just, some are just there. And I've heard the report saying, you know, two years after you've come to the, when you first come into the church, you come into the Lord and you have this experience, you're all excited. And for about two years. And then after two years, because nobody else seems to be excited, you just kind of go along with the crowd. Mm -hmm. So you're not duplicating yourself anymore. I tell Mm -hmm. people, every living thing reproduces after its own kind. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't reproduce, it dies. It becomes extinct. So we don't reproduce. We're going to die. That's what's happening. I don't want to mention denominations here. Right. But, I mean, you can just think of them. Mm -hmm. Denominations that were born in the fire 200 years ago. And now they're closing. they got the big cathedrals now. They're closing their doors because there's nobody going to church. They're dead. They've, they've lost what they had when they started out. Mm-hmm. They started out in the fire. They started out with great things. Their lives were changed. Their lives aren't being changed anymore. Right. And so it's become just like religion, and it hasn't become like experience. To us, you know, I, I belong to a certain, you know, like a fellowship or a denomination, whatever you want to call it, but that's, you know, that's not what my allegiance is to. You know, my allegiance is to the experience that God gave to me. And uh, so those are some of the differences, I think, between uh, a place like the Philippines and the United States. And But I do happen to believe, after having said all of that, I believe in my spirit that there is another great revival coming to America. And uh, I, 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 I can't just base it on any particular fact. It's just what I feel in my spirit. And uh, But I do
1: you think that me. America is ready for that revival
2: when you know it has to be soon
1: why does it have to be soon
2: because we are living in the last days and i i very i'm not i'm not maybe the biggest student of prophecy but but i have some great friends who are and and, you know i know the word a little bit you see all these things begin to come to pass and just look around Mm -hmm. Uh, look up your redemption draweth nigh. jesus is coming this is the hope of the church and I believe right now the Lord is preparing his church, and I believe maybe he's going to give us another another great revival, another great harvest just before he comes. And, uh, and so I believe it's going to be soon. And there may be, you know, I'm not making this prediction, but maybe there's going to be things that are going to happen, events. Such as? That, well
1: like it give examples be, it could be natural
2: calamities like like uh, natural not disasters just, not just one or two but i mean like like a like a tribulation type thing mm. where where it just hits us or it could be an economic uh disaster or it could be i mean that could very well happen we're all just hanging by a thread you know and when some of those things happen if you'll remember after 911 Everybody got spiritual all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, everybody got united.
2: Yeah, everybody united and everybody <laughs> got spiritual. Everybody was repenting and all mm-hmm. that. How soon people forget. Well, it may take a worse calamity than planes going into buildings in New York to get people's attention. I'll tell you, the Lord is merciful. He's long-suffering, but he knows how to get people's attention.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. what would you tell America right now? You have about 160 countries that are listening in over 50 states. What would you tell them to, um, how to prepare for a revival?
2: Well, the first thing that has to be done is it has to be an individual thing. We can't do it for everybody else. Everybody that's listening.
1: So how do we do that individually, everybody though?
2: Everybody that's listening has to go on their knees somewhere. They have to go somewhere and they have to examine. The Lord says we need to examine. Let every man, meaning woman, too, examine himself and see where he is. That's what we do at communion, by the way. But we can do it our own selves without Mm -hmm. having to take the wafer and the the cup. But we go and we examine ourselves. And we say, it's like David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, renew in me a right spirit let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in other words people you know, people need to have the Lord examine their hearts and say Lord see what's inside of me in other words give me a, give me a, a going over give me a like the, you go to the doctor in the hospital and they do all these tests and stuff I've just been through all that get a spiritual examination
1: Repentance to be between, comes to
2: mind. It has to be between you and God, and you can't do it for everybody else. Everybody has to do it. You know what? If everybody that's even listening now, however many it is, if everybody would just say, stop and just say, examine themselves. Some people think that they're totally all right. But we need to prepare. We need to prepare for what's coming. It's not always going to be peaches and cream. It's not all going to be just clear sailing in this world you're going to have tribulation and a lot of people when they have when when that tribulation or that trial hits them the bible talks about the trial of your faith instead of it coming forth as gold like he said it should many people because they're not prepared they haven't examined themselves they succumb to it and then they become bitter against god like Mm -hmm. i got you know like my sibling got bitter against my dad but that's not the answer. The answer is in every individual person examining themselves and get to be a one-man revival. Well, if that happens, how many, what's going to happen if, ever, if many, many people, just the people that's listening to us now would do that? Mm-hmm. Then it's like a fire that starts. It's like a little snowball starts up in a mountain. And it starts rolling downhill. Pretty soon it becomes an avalanche. So it starts with one person. It starts with me. It starts with that one person that's listening right now and saying, "Lord, use me," and then it just it just keeps spreading. and And there are many examples of that, in, in like hundred years ago. You know, the great revival in Wales and the great revivals that. I mean, I remember in New York City. You can read about it. The history. We need to get back to history, what God did in great revivals in times past, and then prepare for. The revival that's coming. Because it's not just revival, but it's going, to be, it's going to be calamity and tragedy and tribulation and all of that. I mean, these are, these are things that are all prophesied. So we need to be right with God in that time and come into that arc of safety. And then uh, we're good.
1: So what you're really saying is that we need to go to God. We need to reflect on our lives and our relationship with Him.
2: Absolutely. It has to be on an individual basis.
1: And you know, repent and then, if we need to repent. And then
2: when we do it, like for then, then we duplicate ourselves. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, you know, my, my, my job right now, here I am, I probably should be retired sitting in my recliner. I have four, five recliners in my living room. You know, I should be taking time sitting in each one of them. But I'm not going to do that. I've got more passion in me now than I ever had in my life because the world's dying, I'm going to hell. And so I'm out there now because I have examined myself. I am a one-man revival. So I'm out there encouraging people, you know, to do what they do. And we've been, I think the Lord has really helped us.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. If you
2: follow us around the U.S., Marina, if you follow us around, you see some good things happening because we don't just get up there and just talk. We get up there and try to uh, connect with people where what's in us to be transferred into them. And it's happening. It really is. I'm encouraged about that part.
1: Amen. So would you give an example for those people who maybe don't understand the, when you said, um, you know, going to the Lord and reflecting on yourself or examining yourself? What would that look like? Give me an example of that.
2: To examine yourself? Yes.
1: Yes. What would that look like?
2: Well, it would just basically it's not complicated.
1: At okay. All. But for those people you know, who are like, well, you know, I don't know what he means.
2: Yeah. Well, to me is, you know, and, and you can do it and it's it's not the place, it's not the way. I mean, you can do it out in the woods. I mean, do it in your car. Anywhere. You can do it anywhere. Anywhere. And do it in the car, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It's just basically it, it's you talking, like like you're talking to another person. That's what God is. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus. He's, a, he's 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 your God. I mean, he, you can talk to him like can talk to anybody. And so, you just say, Lord, I I want to see myself the way you see me, mm-hmm. because you know, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks in the heart. So you have to just be honest with God and say, Lord, I want you to show reveal reveal to me what you see in me. Because we can't see everything. That's, I mean, in our minds, we know if we're sinners or we do this, do that. We know we're doing wrong. But we don't see everything that God sees because it's been going on for a long time. And, uh, and a lot of times when we do examine ourselves like that and ask the Lord to show us, then a lot of ways he shows it to us through his word. And that's why I mentioned
1: before, going to the you Word. you have
2: to get into the mm-hmm. word so true you if you read the word a lot of, while you're just saying lord it's like cuz the word is like a mirror that when you look in it you're seeing yourself when you read the word it's it because it's convicting you
0: right. because the word
2: is like a hammer the word is like a light the word is like a everything i mean there's a lot of different examples what the word actually is and so you examine yourself through the word But then also, when you have that experience of the Lord, the Lord reveals things to you, never apart from the Word. But uh, He he will do it. If you're just sincere, saying, Lord, I want my life to be an open book. And then I want to know what your plan is. Maybe I've been living outside your plan. I've been more selfish than I should be. I've been living for, for the moment. I've been living for making more money or this or that or the other. It's not wrong to make money, but... Uh, you know, you just, you just, Lord, I want your will. Mm-hmm. It's like he said to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. That's the way we need to live our lives.
1: Right, and, and if we haven't put in, put him first, mm-hmm. we can go to him, and, and if we haven't read the word, right. and we have a sincere heart, right, he knows that, and he'll still reveal it. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you know, our lives have to turn around and place him first, and also... Go to the Word and pray.
2: Absolutely.
1: So for those people who feel like, well, I don't know a lot of the Word, or I don't know about God, well, I want them to know that in order to know about God is to learn about Him. And so... And to go to him, we 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 learn about him, right, through the mm-hmm. word, but we also know him through prayer and yeah, the and word.
2: You know, like speaking to him, like you're talking about right now. I think that's what you're referring to. Yes, when you speaking pray, to you know, him. a lot of times when you first start to pray, it's like you feel so halting or so unworthy or whatever. You don't. What words am I going to say? Exactly. And the Lord accepts any kind of word that comes out of our mouth. You know, it's just like a little kid talking to their mm-hmm. dad, daddy, you know, and you might not even understand everything he's saying, but you understand the spirit of the little kid. Exactly. Know? And so that's the way the Lord is with us.
1: Mm-hmm. He
2: said, we've got to become like children. we got to become mm-hmm. childlike. And, uh, and and we're his dear children. And so however we pour our heart out to him, he listens. And then he speaks to us. And You know, not a lot of people hear him audibly but they do hear him through the word and through circumstances and all of these different things he speaks to us when we got our ears tuned and we're prayed up we we you know, I'll tell you we become spiritually tuned in sometimes to what he's saying and and the more that happens the the more in tune you are and the mm-hmm. more you hear you know and so it, it you know it's got to start like anything else starts
1: Amen. Pastor Al, I just want to thank you for your relentless faith and at uh, such an early age and that you never stop pursuing the Lord no matter what. You did not let life's struggles and obstacles or challenges knock your faith down. But instead, I believe as I'm reading your book or as I was reading your book, Mm -hmm. it increased your faith in God. Mm -hmm. This to me was truly an inspiration. Now, I haven't finished the book, but I just want to thank you for that. And um, I just pray that your ministry will continue to expand worldwide and that these years of ministry will be even better than the ones before. Thank you. In Jesus' Thank you very name. much.
2: It's, a, it's an exciting, wonderful life.
1: Yes, amen. It really is. And I just uh, would love for you to just, Close in prayer, please, for America and for the First Nations, or not just First Nations, all the nations.
2: Right. I'll be very, very happy to do that. I've really appreciated this time and uh, look forward to doing it again sometime very much. Praise God. Lord, I want to thank you for the moments that we've had together, just these last few moments. I'm going to pray right now, Lord, and I'm offering to you individuals that live all throughout our world. I pray God that you would come into their hearts as they respond to you and respond to your word. I pray Lord for every nation to experience revival in this end time. I pray Lord for America because that's where we're sitting right now. This is a world leader. It's been a world leader for so many years. I pray Lord that we will come back to you. I pray that backsliders will come back and that they will realize that you are the only answer to a world that's in need. I pray, Lord, for families and marriages and homes. I pray for people that are going through struggles physically and and uh, that have diseases or whatever. I've seen you do so many powerful, wonderful things even in my own life. So now I offer them up to you, Lord, right now in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only powerful name. It's the name above every other name that can be named. Praise God. I give them to you now, and I want to thank you for these moments that we've had together. In Jesus' name, we pray. Praise God.
1: Amen. Praise the Lord, all you nations. We have run out of time, but we will return next Sunday with another guest the Lord has brought to Faith City Outreach. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord.
0: You have been listening to the Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at program at gmail.com. The music used in this broadcast is provided courtesy of zapsplat.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.